0: Welcome to another Books of the Year podcast. I'm Simon Mayo. I'm Matt Williams. Oh, right, so you're actually here this time. I am
1: here this time. I I am conscious that the last time I was on here, I was on the hands-free, on the M1, going through the roadworks. Yes. And here's the thing, I listened, obviously, to both of those, all all the podcasts podcasts that have come out since then, and they were all far too good, and that didn't do anything for my ego at all, so I decided, well, I'd better be in the studio for the next one. So here I am.
0: So... What, so
1: where have you been? Uh, I've been in my new job, which I, th- I believe we might have touched on uh, last time I was on, uh, which involves the Equestrian Federation. Uh, lots of uh, hilarity at uh, people asking, people constantly ask me now on Twitter for tickets to Olympia. Uh, and uh, racing obviously, tips. And uh, <laughs> racing tips, which obviously isn't the same thing. But but yes, but I, I think we need to, because the last time we spoke, we spoke about my new job, but we've not really talked about your new oh, Oh, I see. Yes. So nicely turned yes, around. Yes, I am going to turn this around because... But what do you do I, on a daily basis? Uh, uh, what I do is I do my job and I love every minute and isn't it great. But let's talk about your okay. new... poke Because I, I've been following you very closely on on Twitter and yes. I see that you have this new... You're going to be somewhere new. And yes, I am. Let's talk about that because I don't think you've spoken anywhere else about this.
0: March the 4th. Yeah. Uh, it's a a new radio station called Scala, Uh and uh, I'm going to be doing 10 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Monday to Saturday. Wow. Six days a week? I know. How bad? Goodness me. Including a chart on Saturday morning. A a chart? A chart, yes. Anyway, and so it's very exciting. It's an entertainment station built around classical music. Um, And the best I can say is the fact that William Orbit is doing our evening show. Yeah. It gives you a kind of approach... A uh, kind of an idea about the the way that we 're going to be approaching it, which is that it 's still you know it 's going to be mainly kind of the classical music that you 'd expect but there 's going to be a lot of buzzy stuff around that because there are a lot of buzzy people involved in classical music and they 're taking it into new and exciting uh, you, you areas. always know something 's a really good idea when
1: somebody tells you something that 's happening and you go. I can't believe no one's thought of doing that before. Yeah. And the the very idea that you know up until now it's basically been Radio 3 and Classic FM and that's
0: it. And you think goodness me. Yeah, surely? there are there are 400 plus radio stations doing pop and rock and that yeah. and oldies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh and just two doing classical music. So it kind of was quite an exciting Yeah, thought. definitely. and and also no one can say we used to do it like this. We've always done it like this because no one's actually done yeah. it before. So we're going in and my show will actually be the first show. It'll be the You're um, gonna be the first voice. It'll count down. So I'm gonna, it's a bit like Tony Blackburn launching yeah? Radio One in nineteen sixty seven. Very much the same. Yeah, I'm gonna use exactly the same words. Are you
1: gonna do Flowers in the Rain but by played, the words?
0: But No Flowers in the Rain played by the London <laughs> Symphony Orchestra? <laughs> That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Oh, superb. It was the move, anyway. Was the it birds. the move? Yeah. Who were the birds? The birds they were, were di- a band. Yeah, they yeah. were a different band. They were there a different band. They also did Flowers in the Rain. Good to know. No, I don't know. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. They did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. So, Scarlet starts on March the 4th. And we've done, all I've done at the moment is we've done some stuff for the test transmissions. And the test transmissions are going to be great. In fact, I, whenever a new radio station starts, the test transmissions are. Can all, anyone hear those? So, can yeah. I tune into them now? Well, on the day that we're speaking, no. OK. But in a couple of weeks' time, they'll be... They'll so be when this running. podcast comes out, so
1: literally when people have finished listening to this podcast, they could... What do, may, how do, How am I going to be able to listen to this?
0: I, it's, I, on, it's, on, it's a a D. Well, it'll D-A-B. be... DAB. It's DAB. It'll be online and there'll be an app. Great. OK. Well. Get all three of them. Bang them on my phone. Yeah. I think that's probably a very wise and healthy yes. thing to do. You know, and so I think it'll be quite exciting. I can't be doing with this just an occasional podcast and one show a week no. thing. No. I want to have... Six shows? <laughs> I six want more shows. of me! In fact, I'm going to be doing seven, because the film show on Five Live, and then six shows for Sky. Wow. Blimey. Wow, Fridays How for am I you. going to write another book? <laughs> and there's all that to come as well. Yeah. Anyway, on it the equestrian, yeah. what's the most exciting thing happening in the equestrian calendar? There are quite a few so, things. What's the next thing? Well... But
1: I, I'm now I'm now having to be very careful. There are quite a few things don't coming say, up okay, we that don't I can't talk about. I'm not going to. It's not going to get me into trouble because I'm obviously not going to say that. But there are obviously lots of major sporting events. Yes. We've got you know badminton, Burley, We've got the European Games, European Championships this summer as well. Do you own jodpers? <laughs> I don't yet own any jodpers or a hat. I've been told that I am I'm, I'm visiting quite a lot of stables and I've I've so far not got onto a horse. But I've been told. Did you get a discount for
0: a horse if you wanted one? A
1: discount to
0: buy one? for a horse. Can you keep a horse <laughs> oh <my> in Southgate? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've got my coupons and put them in the school playing field yeah. next to my. Yeah, no, no, I don't. I don't get any, any cheap horses or bridles or saddles. We are reaching the limit
0: of my knowledge now beyond saddles and bridles okay, right, and bits. Well, it's very nice to have you back yes, on here. I'm and delighted to be here. And here we go with today's rather fine book. Okay, Books of the Year, let's do uh, another top book for you. Look out for Charlie Connolly's book, which is called Last Train to Hilversum, with the subtitle. Or Strap Line,
2: what would we call it? I'd call it a subtitle, I suppose.
0: A Journey in Search of the Magic of Radio. So... This was a gift for us. Matt's now going to describe the <laughs> Yes,
1: so, uh, well, it's a uh, predominantly blue background we've got here and then, as you've already mentioned, picked out in, in gold and white uh, on the front is Last Train to Hilversum, and it's th- those, that title is sort of flanked by two oldie-styly uh, microphones also in white and gold. And you've, you've got the sort of international symbol for Wi-Fi at the bottom as well, uh, which I'm sure makes sense. And then, yes, the journey in the search of the magic of radio uh, from the author of Attention
0: All Shipping, a journey around the shipping forecast. <laughs> so the juxtaposition of the old stand-up microphone with the Wi-Fi at the bottom is a clever thing, because although you look at that and go, OK, this is old, and it's Looking back, Wi-Fi is a hint mm. of the future. Mm-hmm. So
2: nicely done, Charlie. Thanks very much. Yeah, I, I had everything to do with that. I... <laughs> uh,
0: tell, tell us how this book came about. What's, what's the idea behind Last Train to Hilversum? And explain the title.
2: Uh, well, the the title is um, to do with Hilversum is a town in the Netherlands. Uh, it's about 20 minutes outside Amsterdam. And the entire Dutch broadcasting and media industries are based in Hilversum. Uh, and they have been ever since the 1920s. So it's almost like as if all our broadcasting and newspapers had sort of relocated to something like Dunstable. And Dunstable was kind of the media town. And it was on all the old radio dials of the very old radios. Um, you'd see places like places you knew, like Paris and Brut- Budapest, like and also places you think, where on earth is that? Like callandborg and Lati. And Hilversum was always on the ones that my, my dad had. And so uh, there was something about the sound of the word that I thought sounded a bit like radio. Yeah. It had that kind of hiss and that thrum underneath it when you say Hilversum. And... Um, i'd never found out where it was, and then I was thinking that radio at the moment we 're getting towards a sort of i suppose you call it a watershed or a tipping point in that the great digital takeover is coming, and analog radio will eventually be switched off and While I'm very excited about the future of radio because you know you can you can listen to it on so many things now it 's pretty much crystal clear quality wherever you listen to it, but also I think there's something about the the hiss and the hum. Of the old style radio that we're going to lose, and I think it is, it is sad, but it's it, it's a, a great forward development. Hence the old microphone and the mm-hmm. Wi-Fi symbol on the cover. And it's a very exciting time to go forward into radio. But I think it's a nice time to to take stock and um and and think about where radios come from and think about some of the great moments in radio and the great people in radio. And so that's why I decided to write a book called Last Train to Hilversum.
0: Oh, just on those radio sets which you're talking about, and I know you 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 collect quite a few. How many have you got? Would you say?
2: Um, collect is probably implies that I have some sort of knowledge. I've, I've acquired loads acquired because loads, yes. they they look nice. Um, so I've probably got about. Last time I counted was about fifteen or sixteen, which in a small flat takes up quite
0: a lot. Yeah. Too. So and are these stations that you're talking? Is it medium wave, long wave, VHF? Uh, probably use not Jeff,
2: the v- because they didn't have it in, in in those days, I don't think. Um, yeah, it's mainly medium wave. Uh... So you
0: go along the medium wave dial mm. between stations. Because now people make a lot of things about, you know, internet radio, and you can find radio stations from around the world. But what's interesting about you talking about Hilversum and Paris, and all, is that if you, depending on what time of day you were on you could always hear more at night but you could you could go along the dial and you could listen to radio stations from around well particularly europe
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people used to tune in um, especially before the BBC in the early days of the BBC in the 20s people were just as likely to listen to the BBC as they were to listen to to a station from Hilversum because they had um, uh, dance bands on and concerts and and, and that was your choice. I mean uh, British broadcasting when the BBC started was a complete monopoly, but for the listener uh, especially at night, as you say, when the signal would carry further, you could listen to a concert from Cullendborg and it was mainly concerts and recitals and and, and, uh, the choice was there, and it was a very European setup back then. Uh, can I, so, can I just ask? Format comes in. What What are you trying to do in
0: the book? What, what when you say a journey in search of the magic of radio? Are you trying to work out why you love? radio. Is is that the essence of it and do you find the answer?
2: Yeah, I mean I, cause I think radio is a very understated medium in general. Radio doesn't blow its own trumpet and I think we've all grown up listening to the radio. Uh, the, the, those, those radio figures that say there's uh, 9 out of 10 adults in Britain listen to the radio every week which is an astonishing statistic and most of those people seem to listen for more than 20 hours a week as well. So it's something we take for granted. It's something that that doesn't shout, I mean you go to a radio awards ceremony and people are almost apologising for picking up awards, it, whereas TV and other entertainment uh, and news uh, organisations, the awards ceremonies are big hooplas and uh, you know, big hedonistic occasions, whereas radio just gets on with it and I, I, I realised that I've been listening to radio all my life, I found a postcard from Listen With Mother from a picture I'd sent them once when I was about five years old that I didn't even remember sending, so I've, I've been listening to radio for longer than I can remember and, and reading about the, the, the great analogue Switch off made me realize that, and I thought i 'd like to explore that more that relationship i 've had with radio and the relationship we all have with radio because i 've been a listener i 've done a few bits of radio myself, so i 'm kind of in between that kind of the insider 's thing oops, and the and the outsider 's perspective as well as the listener and the doer. So I thought, kind of quite uh, conceitedly, that might put me in a good position to explore where the magic of radio lies.
1: I uh, I want to talk a bit more about that relationship that we all have with radio. Before we actually started this interview, when you came in, Charlie, I said to you that we're we're going to have enormous fun doing this interview because me and Simon are uh, massive fans of radio. But actually, that's a bit like saying me and Simon really enjoy food or oxygen (laughs) or water because 90% of the population love radio and, and consume it every week. So there's nothing special about us being fans of radio. And my theory, and I did, I was gratified to see it in your book as well. My theory with radio has always been the power of it is because it feels such an intimate medium. Whereas with television, you may well watch that with other people. Often with radio, you'll just have it on in your car, or maybe it's on in the kitchen. Maybe it's on and you're not listening to it, but it's just there. And it often feels like, oh, right, it's just me listening. Mm. it's just they're just talking to the really really good broadcasters make you feel they're just talking to me it's just me so it's just this which you don't get with tv you're never under that impression with tv or or film or anything like that with radio you absolutely are so so i I just want to ask you about that sort of intimate relationship that we that we have with with radio that perhaps we don't get with other mediums
2: yeah i think intimacy is the right word and and i I've used a phrase before that sounds like a, a contradiction, but it's a kind of shared intimacy that is it, this kind of one-to-one thing we have with the radio that we are sharing with thousands of people across the country, across the world, um, li- listening as well, because I mean, you have to go to television. Um, television anchors you to one spot because you got to sit there and watch it. Uh, whereas radio, you can play it through your phone, you can carry it around the house and, it's the old cliche that the pictures are better on the radio, but they are. And I think that the success of radio and I think the, the intimacy of radio is buried in the fact that we do have to invent the pictures in our heads. So radio, television we tend to absorb more, whereas radio I think makes us think more because it is creating things in, in our heads, creating the pictures and, 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 and that kind of dialogue that we have that we're not actually participating in but between the presenter and the listener is that intimate thing inside the head, rather than just using the eyes and the ears. I think radio is... That's why uh, radio is such a magical medium, I think, because it gets inside
0: us. That shared intimacy is a a, a very interesting phrase because, obviously, it's a one-to-one communication, where you've both been saying. But the great... The things that I always used to like very much, and which I look forward to happening in the future... Yes. ..is when you get... Emails and texts into into the show that you're doing saying we were just stuck at traffic lights and we noticed that the people in the car next to us were listening to the same thing. So and let's Alan Freeman, when he when he came on, he used to say greetings, music lovers in a plural. So we knew that we were part of a bigger gang. Mm. So it was intimate. And yet we knew that we were in the gang. And that's a very, very
2: Interesting relationship to try and develop. It is because um, S- Stuart Hibbert, who was the first great radio announcer at the BBC and, and was doing it for years up to you know, the sort of 30s, 40s, and 50s, and he used to close down the BBC at night and he'd go, Good night, everybody. And then he'd leave a pause and he'd go, Good night. And the pause was for everyone at home to answer him. So yeah. he'd be going, Good night, everybody. And they'd go, Good night. I'm going to do that next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, think that's I think that's great That that image I think sums up what's great about radio That intimacy, said it is a conversation
1: I, The other thing I'd say Which again is something that you've, you've touched on Is that radio tends to be sort of that uh, sort of Look down on media it's, it's certainly not as glamorous as film or TV I remember when I first got involved In in, in local radio And this is in the sort of mid to late 90s and um, an editor coming to me and uh, basically saying, "Why on earth are you getting involved in radio? It's about to die. Have you not? Can you not see how this industry is going?" And you know, twenty years later, people, more people listening to radio than have ever done before. It's huge. It's absolutely burgeoning. But. It's still fe- it, it always feels like we are five years away from, oh, yeah, no-one's going to listen to radio anymore. At the moment, it's, it's sort of like, well, we're, we're talking on a podcast and everyone's saying, oh, yes, podcasts are going to be the future. No-one's going to be listening to radio. And my instinct is, in five years' time... Radio will still be going strong, but still people will be
2: going, ah, you see this new thing? That's what's going to take over from radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, television was supposed to do it, wasn't it? It was supposed to kill off radio, and it, it hasn't. Uh, podcasting, I think podcasting complements radio as well. Mm. I think... Um, so this isn't radio, the way you well, would describe. I it? I think it is, you know, I... I, I I would say it's radio. We're sitting here in a studio talking to lots of people. Those people may be choosing when they're listening to to this uh, this, this podcast rather than switching on at a certain time and hearing it. But the principle's the same, I think. I think, yeah. I think podcast and radio are in the same same bracket.
0: I think it it, it almost makes it like the concentrated radio, distilled radio, because it means that you've chosen to download it and you're ch- and you're choosing the moment at which you're listening to it. Mm. So although you won't be sharing it, you know that there are lots of other people downloading it and they kind of know... All the stuff that's going on. Uh, Charlie Connolly's book is Last Train to Hilversum, and we'll talk more with Charlie after this. Uh, Charlie Connolly is here, Last Train to Hilversum. This is the Books of the Year uh, podcast. Tell us uh, about the shipping forecast because, uh, as Matt mentioned at the beginning, it says for, on the front of your book from the author of Attentional Shipping A Journey Around the Shipping Forecast. And we're back with the shipping forecast for a little section of this book, and you're using it to illustrate why there is a sort of a majesty and a poetry uh, to radio. Just explain a little bit about why we should spend time uh, discussing the shipping forecast. (laughs) Because on on the surface you'd think it's the most niche piece of broadcasting
2: (laughs) ever. I think the shipping forecast. There's so many aspects of the shipping forecast that make uh, you know it's a horrible old phrase, but you know one of the great things about this country, I think, is the shipping forecast. Um, it's been going since 1924 in the format that we we know it at the moment, and it it, it gives you the weather at sea, and it divides the sea areas around Britain into these kind of little areas with evocative names that you don't know where they are, most of them, and some are named after sandbanks and rivers and, and, and towns. And it's written to a very strict format. There's only certain fra- words and phrases that you can use, and there's a maximum number of words. I think it's um, 370 words or something like that. Uh, and it's it the same format every time, yet it is like poetry, because it's the same every time but it's different because there's different weather uh, conditions, um, uh, what's happening with the weather and what's happening in the next 24 hours. Uh, and it has developed this poetry and it has inspired poets like uh, Seamus Heaney and Carol Anne Duffy and Sean Street have written beautiful poems inspired by the shipping forecast. But I think it, it, it kind of emphasises what, what makes Britain great because it there's no benefit, there's no bottom line to the shipping forecast. No one makes a profit out of the shipping forecast. It is almost entirely altruistic. It's, uh, it's protecting people at sea and people say you've still got, you got GPS, you've got um, sat-navs and things like that and, and internet. Why do we still need the shipping forecast I think that's like saying why do we still need the news on the radio you know, you can get that on the internet but you know, we still have the news at the top of the hour and, and it'd be really weird if we didn't have the news on the radio um, but it, it, it's one of the great cultural aspects I think of, of radio and of this country in particular and the fact that it encompasses um, outside our chores as well. The shipping shipping forecast looks outwards from Britain. It's not an internal introverted thing and it and it, and it's there to save lives and who can say how many lives it's saved in the in the uh, what is it 90 odd years since it started now. Um so yeah, hats off to the shipping forecast and and long may it prosper. I mean people keep saying it shouldn't be on the radio anymore. It absolutely should. There's another
1: thing on radio that shouldn't work but absolutely does, and and it's going to seem odd me saying that it shouldn't work because it was my job for a long time. Was sport on the radio? Sport on the radio shouldn't really work because, particularly if you've got access to the pictures, why on earth would you bother listening to um, Test Match Special if you've got uh, the, the the Test Match is live on your telly? Why would you bother if you've got you know the the football on Sky on your telly? Why on earth would you be listening to Five Live when actually? lots of us do Mm. and it's and it's I, I've, I've often tried to work it out, and you know, I've had t- 20 years working in that industry and still can't really work out why I would prefer to hear John Murray doing commentary from Old Trafford as opposed to actually watching it, but I absolutely do. and it's, I, I, Maybe it's the, the, the pictures being created by John and other amazing broadcasters, the, Ian Robertson and Jonathan Agnew and, and people like that, um, and John Hunt, there are loads of great commentators who are so skilled but I, I'm interested in your insight because obviously you've, you've written about sport as well. What is it that you think makes sport work on the radio when, when uh, you know every logical bone screams out,
2: no, it shouldn't work? Um, again, I think it helps that you, you, you're making the, the pictures. In, in your head, I think listening to football commentary on medium wave I think is one of the the great radio experiences because you 've got the wash of the atmosphere tied in with the the, the roar and the, and the of the crowd and it 's almost like you can hear the match breathing through your radio mm. with the, with the the, the the ebb and flow of the crowd and the the atmospherics as well um, and I think football. And, and, and many sports are much better on the radio I lived in Ireland for, for many years and listening to the Gaelic football and the hurling the, the radio commentaries of those is some of the most exciting radio I've ever heard I mean the, the, the Irish GAA sports are exciting to watch anyway but listening to the the commentators the skill I mean it's like when Peter O'Sullivan used to commentate on horse racing yeah. and he'd get billed to that climax the the the, the 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 Gaelic games commentaries are like that pretty much all the way through and, and they're so exciting you can listen to a match uh, between I don't know Westmeath and Mayo and at the end of it you're breathless because it's like you've been there and and, and the power that it has the commentary has um, to, to evoke that excitement is something you probably would get the same watching it on TV or watching it if you're actually there as well but it, it's a different kind of excitement I think and a, and a much more a uh, nourishing kind of excitement. You've, you've
1: used a really interesting word there, power, because I think, I think that you've absolutely uh, alighted on the correct word, though. I often, as I, as I read in your book, um, Peter Jones, mm. his, his closing report from Hillsborough oh. and the Sunshines now. Goodness me, I've got hers on the back of my neck going mm. right now. I, I, when I read that in your book, I thought I've, I'm going to have to listen to that again, and you can find it on, on YouTube. And it is astonishing... And it's astonishing because you can tell, not only is he reporting from this um, tragedy, this awful event, but he is delivering it clearly without notes. He is talking off the cuff. And it is just extraordinary. And I, you, I, I define anyone not to, to to listen to it and not be a wreck at the end of it, which I, which I was when I, when I listened to it again. But uh, as I said, it is that power,
2: mm. the power to move, when all you're doing is, is talking to people. Yeah, I mean, that Peter Jones clip, when you think that was on Sports Report at five o'clock, mm. so that's barely two hours um, after the Hillsborough disaster had, had begun. And he's watched it unfold in front of him. He's gone there to watch a football match and commentate on a football match, and this terrible terrible tragedy has happened in front of him and then two hours later less than two hours later when no one's really sure how many casualties there have been or what's what's what the cause of it was it's still raw and it's still unexplored and he's gone on and, and i think i counted the words i think it's less than 300 words he mm. uses and he does this summary of what he can see what he's seen what the implications might be and it is the I mean, it is most. I'm I'm getting emotional even thinking about it now. It is the most extraordinary uh, piece of radio, and that's someone who had also been at the Heisel disaster four years earlier, another dreadful disaster. I mean, I think we can tend to sort of separate um, sporting disasters like Hillsborough and Heisel from other disasters, but can you imagine if if you'd seen a a train crash in which 90-odd people were killed and then two hours later had to go on the radio and just describe what you'd seen, and all you'd run that train for was to go to work or something like that, and and these are two of the most heart-rending disasters of, of, of certainly the, the late twentieth century in Britain, and Peter Jones was there at both of them. So the trauma of actually being present at these terrible incidents, and then getting it together to kind of to describe them for people in such a concise and considered way, I think that broadcast is just one of the highlights of in the history of radio.
0: I just can I just spool back to the technology kind of section of the of the conversation and changing times and changing attitudes and so on, because th- this is a, a splendid nostalgic read for all the reasons that we've mentioned, but I remember this is going back ten years ago when i no- I noticed in discussions <clears throat> that my eldest son, who was a teenager at school, he didn't have a radio, and he said none of his friends had a radio this is ten years ago and when I was growing up, I wanted a watch, a camera, and a radio. they were the things that I thought that that 's the that's what I wanted to acquire. Um, and all of that uh, has changed. And overwhelmingly, people under... Unless it's in the radio, unless it's in the car, people under 25, under 30 maybe, don't actually own a radio. A radio. We can still access everything through our phones and through the laptop. But how much of a challenge is that, do you think? To because radio that, in general. Oh, yeah, you the mean? point I'm making is the habit of radio yeah. listening is is... Is changing. You know that habit of waking up in the morning and turning on the radio. It does now. I look at my kids. They wake up and they open the laptop and they watch stuff on on YouTube. That's that's mm. what they do.
2: This habit of radio listening is changing, isn't it? Uh, I get I mean, I, I don't have kids, um, but um, I, it must be. Yeah. I mean. The thought of not having a radio—I mean, to someone of my generation, I'm 48 years old—is uh, it, it's bizarre because that having a radio in my teens, especially for discovering music um, and for listening to just entertaining stuff for the comedy on radio for like, hit and miss, but a lot of it was good. Um, and I did that thing of having my little transistor radio under my pillow, listening to John Peel uh, at 10 o'clock on, on, a, on a midweek evening, and people of my kind of generation and, and generations ahead of me, and maybe a generation behind me as well, would share that. And again, it's that shared intimacy thing that so many people did that, listening to John Peel under the pillow. Uh, and what people watch YouTube now. So the, the, their generation, they're going to be sharing that, but they're not going to be watching the same things, I guess. So I think... I mean, from 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 this perspective, looking back at the young people, uh, yeah, I think that they'll probably be losing something from that, uh, missing out. But
1: yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because I know, obviously, when when you and I will have been listening to John Peel and listening to music, that was the only outlet we had, because it, you know. Decent music, bluntly on the telly, very rare, or you know, once a week the tube was on, or, or whatever. But you knew every night, okay, I can tune into these shows and I'll and I'll hear stuff that I th- that I like. Whereas now, if I was nineteen, there are so many outlets I can go to, and radio is probably very low on the list. My instinct is that it will still be there. That, you know, much as people say, well, you know, young people aren't going to listen to radio. My instinct is, as they grow older, that that is something they will go to. And I, I, I also, and I just want to come back to this briefly, but when you, when I saw the title of your book being t- To Hilversum, it um, cast out sparks in my mind because I remember going on holiday to Ireland and uh, uh, we're driving along, my dad's driving, and... Um, we pass a road sign to Athlone, and I was like, I was like, "Oh my god, Athlone! Imagine it's a real place. Can we go to Athlone? I'm I'm not driving to Athlone. It's like it's like eighty miles away. We're not driving to Athlone. Why? I was like, Is this? It's on my radio. There's this place called Athlone. It actually exists. We should go to Athlone. Maybe there'll be bands in Athlone. Like, no, we're not going to Athlone. And, and 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 that is something that that perhaps a younger generation isn't. Going to get the, the idea of that kind of glamour being attra- attached to something that really isn't very glamorous, as you find with Hilversum, yeah. and um, you know, with all respect to Athlone, probably not Athlone either. <laughs> uh, Athlone. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> um, so, and, and there is a, it is a shame that that, that perhaps you're going to they're going to miss out on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I suppose the equivalent for Irish people or people from the rest of Europe coming to Britain would be seeing a sign for Daventry. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Daventry <laughs> tourism <laughs> could have really cleaned up there.
0: Like, and, <laughs> and and to the people with puzzled browse what do we see in Daventry and it, its significance
2: it was the big transmitter it still is a big transmitter there but that was the name the, the, one of the British names uh, other than London and uh, I think Glasgow was on there as well Daventry was uh, on, the, on all the uh, the radio dials along with Paris and Vienna so, and we should, so
0: we should finish the way your book finishes which is the trip to Hilversum so mm-hmm. where is it and what do we find when
2: we get there uh, hilversum is a 20 minute train ride from amsterdam so I, you, you can get there from london certainly you can get there within 4 or 5 hours with the with the just on the train um but it's it's not a destination as such unless you're kind of a weird geeky radio person like me, because uh, the town itself is perfectly pleasant, but it's the the, the big media park just on the edge of the town that is the significance of Hilversum, because it's where Dutch broadcasting started in the 20s and where Dutch broadcasting has remained. And um, they call this complex Hillywood, which of course they do. uh, The
0: the most interesting thing I... um, in all your conversation about what happens at uh, at Hilversum, was the fact that when radio started in the 1920s, as you as you said, that the kind of the, this public service radio, as I understand it, was divided between the liberals, the socialists, the Catholics, the Protestants, and the Free, free Protestants. Protestants yeah. So they and they, did they they all got their own radio station. They all got their own radio station. Imagine stations. listening to radio Free, free Protestants. Protestants. Imagine how much fun that's going to be. Here's a list of the things you can't do today. We're not going to play any of that rock and roll. Stop dancing and having fun.
1: Is that a Protestant station? No, it's a free Protestant. Oh, that's fine. fine. We we ate
0: the Protestants. We're free Protestants. Oh, my goodness me. So that was... And 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 there's some sections you I think you say in the book still exists like that. Yeah, yeah. The guy I was
2: talking to uh, at at Hilversum, he said certainly um, those pillars. He 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 described Dutch society as pillarized into those five pillars, um, and the, the. they television stations when that started. They, when television started in the Netherlands, they thought, well, this could be the time to bring everyone together. Just have one big broadcasting uh, corporation like, like the BBC and, and get everyone together. And all the five different things, probably the free Protestants were the most virulent about it, said, no, no, we will have our own television stations as well. Thank you very much. And they all had to have and their own. And they're going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> And they had their own versions of the Radio Times. Each five, each of the five, it was it, it was completely divided, and it, and it was still that like, way up until about the nineties, I think.
1: What? Yeah, yeah, you was, had, wow. Yeah. So, hang on. So there were five, so if I was watching like the biggest show in the Netherlands, I could watch five
0: different versions of it on five
2: different. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> yeah. But
0: imagine choosing to listen to socialist radio. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to hear. I'd like to hear about the workers' control of the means yes. of production. Don't give me the the, the the prices on the Financial Times I am not want interested in yes. that Wall Street, I don't know about that. Welcome back to Potato Hour. Yes. How, how many, many tra- tr- strictly
2: how many? workers controlling the means of production? Yeah.
0: How many tractors have we made this week in Amsterdam?
2: Brilliant.
1: I just think I'm growing to war- I'm warming to this. That's, that's definitely yeah.
0: Liberal radio, how about that? Well, I bet that, that was very all very free very love free. and hippies. Yes, it was. Yes.
1: <laughs> very open minded, very continental. Yeah. Yeah. And then Free Catholic radio. We're going to go down that route. I don't, I...
2: <laughs> I'm i just intrigued by the way they set up. <laughs> they have a mass lit- listenership. Eh? Yes, no. Very good. Boom, hey. that's how we go out. Very well good. done. Dear me. All right.
0: Uh, Charlie Connolly's book is Last Train to Hilversum, A Journey in Search of the Magic of Radio Charlie. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.